mass of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. Time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. Too many of the people in politics and the media seek to win by inflaming your passions rather than reasoning with you. My purpose is different. To inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on your judgment. The federal government shutdown has ended, at least for now. Legislation passed on Friday and signed by President Trump will keep the national lights on for at least another three weeks. The president's demand for a $5.7 billion border wall or a border barrier or whatever you want to call it cost the U.S. economy, that's you and me, $6 billion over the last 35 days. But You know, as a businesswoman, I focus a lot on the numbers and not the rhetoric. So in the numbers this week, 434, that's the current number of seated representatives in the House of Representatives, after Democrats refused to seat a North Carolina Republican, citing concerns over, quote, illegal, unquote, ballot harvesting. I had never heard that term before. Ballot harvesting? What's that? So, of course, what did I do? I went and Googled it. And lo and behold, the only state in the union where ballot harvesting is legal, three guesses and you don't need them, is California. And and the question then becomes, did a ballot harvesting law passed in 2016 and used the first time in 2018 in California change the outcome of the California election? Ballot harvesting was involved in several of the seats that Democrats flipped in California, and yet they immediately seated all of those representatives. $209 billion is still the starting point for Governor Newsom's budget proposal, and we may get to talking to that this morning, but we're really fortunate. This morning, we have with us Eric Early, who's going to talk with us about one person, one vote what it means in California. Eric was the only practicing attorney to run for California Attorney General in 2018. His candidacy was based on his belief that Californians deserve an attorney general who wants to do the job he or she ran for and was elected to do. He believes that Californians deserve a real attorney and not a politician masquerading as an attorney to do the job correctly. Eric was a citizen candidate. 
He is the managing partner at Early Sullivan. He and six of his partners were just recognized among the top lawyers in the nation in the 2019 edition of The Best Lawyers in America, one of the oldest and most distinguished guides, a peer-reviewed guide to the legal profession. Among his, along with his thriving civil litigation practice, Eric has recently filed suit against the Santa Barbara School Board over so-called implicit bias training for all certified staff in the district. Some of the charges made on both sides of this lawsuit raise serious concerns for California students and parents writ large. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning. While we're going to focus early on in this conversation on the larger concern of potential abuse of the one-person, one-vote principle we all depend on, and we do depend on that. Perhaps we'll have time to touch on Santa Barbara and maybe the government shutdown and a couple of other issues this week. So, as I said earlier, Democrats refused to seat a North Carolina Republican, but immediately seated seven new Democratic representatives from California, despite widespread evidence in all cases of ballot harvesting. In not one of those seven seats that flipped was, except the Rohrbacher seat, so six of, of the seven, the Republican was leading on election day and ended up losing the, the election a month later. What's going on? How did this happen? And what's well, good, mor- good, good morning. Good morning. I'll, uh, I'll start uh, telling you my thoughts uh, <laughs> on that subject, and and I'm looking forward to discussing it with you and your your listeners. But um, uh, you know, our legislature up here, which for many years now has become completely democratically controlled soup to nuts super majorities uh you know and then you got the governor and and on and on uh, attorney general uh secretary of state and they have really um created a situation through various statutes and such that has created an atmosphere that's ripe for fraud and abuse and two years ago the governor uh, governor brown signed into law ab Assembly Bill 1921, which allowed for ballot harvesting. And, uh, and that is what many people suspect, strongly suspect, was largely behind this, this flip in the seats that you were just describing. As most, if not everybody knows who follows these things, we all went to bed on uh, election night, and, and several Republican uh, U.S. Congress people up for U.S. Congress, were leading by a healthy margin. We woke up the next day and, uh, and the days to follow, and we found out every single one of them lost. And there have been reports now that it was ballot harvesting that uh, is what flipped the dial. For these congressional seats, the, there are not that many votes that are needed to win for Congress in these, in these various districts. And, and ballot harvesting, depending on how it's done, can have a huge impact and it apparently had a huge impact here so and i'll get into ballot harvesting a little bit and what it is and how it's being abused and how it works but uh one of the one of the ironies of the last election is is there was only one race in the country and you touched on it where um you know 
the, at least the uh, the left wing media has been up in arms about so called election fraud, and that is this uh, congressional race in North Carolina, where somebody uh, supporting the Republican candidate said, "Yeah, I harvested ballots, uh, hundred or two hundred ballots," uh, and uh, and the media has gone crazy on that race. The race, the congressman has not been able to be. Um, uh, his, the race has not been finalized, and it looks like they might even have a new vote down there for that race. And what's ironic about it is, of course, what we're dealing with out here, where there are people are suspecting that a couple hundred thousand votes might have been harvested. So what is bo- ballot harvesting? It allows people to go and collect absentee ballots from people. Um, so... People who have absentee ballots, and, and they're mailed out to everybody in the state now, uh, they, they are um, identified by these ballot harvesting uh, operations as people who might be uh, prone to vote, in this case, Democrat. And then you have uh, somebody go out to their place where they live, and they, uh, they collect their ballots. And so the stories on Election Day here in California uh, were that People were dropping off hundreds, these harvesters were dropping off hundreds of ballots and thousands of ballots. And, and, and I've read that up to 250,000 ballots were dropped off by these harvesters on Election Day. And that is a huge number. That is absolutely a number that could swing all of these races uh, a significant amount. So um, why did the state enact this statute? Um, this is what happens when you have one-party rule in a, in a state. And, and, and one of the real problems here is that with this law in place, you have these uh, Democratic activists. They're very good at, at organizing themselves. They've been you know, studying these community organizing principles for years, unlike uh, Republicans. Uh, and they... They had a lot of money come in from out of state, uh, from some of these multi-gazillionaires, uh, from these, uh, you know, the Bloombergs and the Tom Steyers of the world. And a lot of this money was put towards organizing to maximize the benefit they could get from ballot harvesting. And, and these Democratic operatives identified uh, likely or potential voters throughout the state that could or would or could be convinced or might vote Democrat, and they started knocking on doors and collecting these things. And one thing we don't know is how much uh, some of these people uh, that were visited by uh, these these uh, this these organized Democratic group were convinced or coerced or told how to vote oh, I on think, their ballots. I think we do know in okay. Orange in Orange County, just as we as we go to break and we'll be back in in just a minute but let's let's remember that in orange county where these seats were flipped where ms kim who had been in the assembly lost um a bid for a congressional seat the gop retained all of the legislative seats so people who filled out their own ballots in orange county still voted republican and we'll be back in just a moment to talk about how ice cream socials affected the November election.
You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with Eric Early, who was a candidate for uh, California Attorney General, the only real practicing attorney in that race. And we're talking about one man, one vote. And, you know, Eric, one of the things that concerns me the most or shocked me the most as I began to look at this ballot harvesting issue is that Democratic operatives, by the way, uh, Tom Steyer is local money. Um, There was plenty of local money here, too. But um, Democratic operatives who set up, let's say, pop-up voting locations the weekend before Election Day where they served ice cream in exchange for your ballot, um, lots of those people are paid operatives. They're not like the old days where you had dollars for Democrats, where you had, um, you know, activists, believers out there – for out of the goodness of their heart, believing in the cause, these people are paid. How does that impact our ability to to actually have a working representative democracy? Joyce, it's a mess out there, and uh, you know, as long as we keep having these kinds of law, laws foisted on us, uh, people who actually care about one person, one vote, people who care about. Uh, you know, making sure we don't get inundated by this onslaught and this endless, what appears to be an endless onslaught of one-party rule. Um, you know, whether you're Republican or no-party preference or even Democrat who uh, are just saying, listen, this is getting, we've crossed the line here and it's getting out of control in our state. Uh, we have to start uh, learning how to work together and organizing also. Uh, the Like I said, uh, the Democrats are masters at, at organizing. And, uh, you know, right now we have a ballot harvesting statute. I can't stand this statute personally because look what it's done and look how it's being abused. But while it exists on the books and until and unless, you know, we can get a legislature up there uh, to get to overturn this uh, statute or, or get a... Uh, a lawsuit that could possibly uh, change some of this stuff. Um, uh, people who are against this, uh, the way it's being uh, used by one party, are going to have to uh, learn how to master ballot harvesting also. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the things that I'm doing is calling on the state Republican Party to uh, to start doing this ballot harvesting, but doing it better than the Democrats have done it. And that's going to be a, a Herculean task, uh, because what I've seen is, uh, you know, m- most of the more conservative people that I've spoken to and met throughout our great state, they, they're, they're more independent than, than these folks on the other side. Uh, many of us, were not community organizers. We believe in independence. We believe in liberty. Uh, and, and we believe in, in uh, you know, in, in principles that are different than these these community organizers on the other side, but uh, folks of all stripes who are against uh, this this onslaught of one-party rule are going to start having to get together, master these techniques, go out there and harvest uh, harvest themselves, because otherwise, uh, you know, otherwise this is going to continue. Well, it's going to be a tough task because in California, um, a whole lot of more conservative-leaning. Or, or rational or centrist folks are not registered Republicans. They're independents, and that means 
um, a ballot harvesting effort uh, to, to change the one-party rule in California will have to be far bigger than what the Democrats do. So let me ask you two questions on that, because I think one thing that, that you raised... Save that thought one second, Joyce. Unfortunately, for most Republicans that I know, most conservative-thinking uh, people, uh, many independents, the thought of going and knocking on doors, collecting ballots, uh, trying to convince somebody who's got a right in ballot how to vote is abhorrent to people like us. Uh, but this, this, what we're against, it's, they have a completely different thought process. It's absolutely the opposite of abhorrent. They think it's their obligation, their duty, and their, their life's work to uh, do whatever it takes, forget about scruples, forget about ethics, to, uh, to do what it takes to just uh, push their, uh, their agenda forward. Anyhow, I'm sorry, Joyce. It's, no, that's, that's perfectly okay. I mean, it is, you're, you're absolutely right. It is um, remarkably more difficult to get um, people like you and me who, um, we wouldn't go knock on other people's doors and tell them how to vote, except, except for certain people in my, you know, in, who know who they are, who are listening, um, <clears throat> who need to be nagged. But um, it is, so, but you know, in Arizona, they they actually have they have this problem, and they passed a law in the legislature won't happen here uh, to outlaw it. And there was a suit against that law, which the Supreme Court upheld. The Supreme Court upheld the principle that ballot harvesting um, is not uh, an appropriate legal way in which to conduct an election. So is perhaps a lawsuit to challenge the idea of, you know, uh, paid operatives collecting ballots? Is that a possibility? Well, I think everything should be on the, on the table, including the potential for legal action, uh, because something has to be done to stop what's going on. Uh, yeah, in California, you start off with the unfortunate situation now that, um, that uh, most of the uh, state's voters are, are Democrat, the greatest percentage. Then the second largest percentage is what is called no party preference. Mm-hmm. And then the smallest percentage is Republican. Uh, you start off with those percentages, and then you throw in a healthy dose of uh, voter abuse and, and possible fraud. And, uh, you know, we're not, in, we're not in a good place right now. So all options have to be looked at, including legal action. Well, and one of the things that in in an earlier conversation you and I talked about was uh, the judicial watch suit against Los Angeles County, which I think came out of um, another issue that we can talk about in terms of the number of ballots that were sent to one address. Uh, but judicial judicial watch actually filed suit against um, Los Angeles County um, over a million and a half inactive voters. Right. Is that true that total voters on the rolls exceed the estimated eligible population to vote in the county? There are estimated to be approximately a million and a half voters uh, on the California's uh, voter rolls, uh, rather on L.A. County's voter rolls right now, who are ineligible to vote by virtue of either the fact that they've moved out of uh, this county uh, to another county in the state or to another state, or they might have just uh, died and passed on, and yet they're still on the voter rolls. So, so uh, you know, it's an incredible thing. And, and unfortunately, again, these sort of uh, 
enemies of democracy, who uh, you might want to call it, are more than happy to take advantage of those kind of uh, issues uh, to start submitting votes for people who, who should not be on the rolls. So Judicial Watch, an organization that I support, uh, sued L.A. County, among others, and a uh, settlement was entered with, uh, between Judicial Watch and the state of California a couple weeks ago, whereby the California Secretary of State, a Democrat uh, by the name of Alex Padilla, has been ordered by the federal court to, uh, to take steps to see who among those 1.5 million should be purged from the voter rolls. Uh, and so according to, so the Secretary of State is obligated to start contacting these voters and, and or these perhaps imaginary voters at this point to see what kind of responses, if any, they get back. And to the extent the Secretary of State does not get a response back, then they're supposed to take the name off the voter rolls. With all that said, I'm still very concerned about how this is going to play out. And that's a great point. Hold that thought. We have to go pay the bills here. We'll be back in just a moment with Eric Early to talk about why he's so concerned about the abuse of the voter rolls. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with Eric Early, and we're talking about 1.5 million inactive voters in Los Angeles County alone. So, Eric, what does that mean for the greater state of California? Well, uh, getting back to the county, and then I'll get back to the state, uh, so, so right now, uh, uh, California's illustrious, and I use that uh, term lightly, <laughs> uh, Secretary of State Alex Padilla, who is, in my humble opinion, just part of this uh, far-left cabal that's presently running things in our state. He's under a court order to take those steps I was describing to uh, purge uh, folks who should not be on the voter rolls. My concern is is that when the lights are off of him, uh, you know, and uh, and this issue passes into the ether because there's so much that constantly is uh, happening on a daily basis that Mr. Padilla and his office are going to drop the ball or they're just not going to focus on this issue the way it needs to be focused on to actually purge those uh, voter rolls properly. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm involved with the L.A. County Republican Party, which is down here where I live, and, uh, and, and we're talking... Uh, internally and also uh i'm talking to people at the election integrity project who were who was one of the outfits that joined with judicial watch to bring that lawsuit to see what we can do to make sure that this fellow padilla keeps doing what he needs to do to properly purge those roles and and so and when it comes to the state uh we have these problems all over the state uh you know L.A. County is the largest county uh, of, of registered voters, I believe, in the country. Uh, so that was one of the reasons for the lawsuit's focus. But this is a problem throughout the state. And if we had a secretary of state who actually cared about these issues, uh, these these roles could be properly purged and vetted. This, this all comes out of a... Uh, 
a U.S. Supreme Court case from uh, a couple years ago that required this kind of vetting and uh, to happen. Um, but but you know it's it's one thing to talk about, and it's another thing to do it, and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens um, with uh, with Padilla's obligation in this regard. But but I don't have to tell your listeners uh, how how these kind of situations. Uh, just open the doors for potential fraud and abuse. And, and that sort of just goes to the larger issue we're talking about today, about how California uh, has created uh, a system through laws that have, we just have this huge atmosphere that is ripe for fraud and abuse. It's, it's not just, I mean, the ballot harvesting is bad. The, uh, the, Many voters who should not be on the voter rolls uh, for for one legal reason after another is bad. Then you have this uh, automatic voter registration uh, that that our legislature passed. That if you have anything to do with the de- Department of Voter Vi- Motor Vehicles, you get registered to vote. And this is in the same state, California, where undocumented immigrants are allowed to go to the DMV and get a driver's license. And there's huge concern that undocumented immigrants who are going to DMV are getting automatically registered to vote. And that then brings you back to this fellow, Mr. Padilla. If you had a strong, concerned, uh, uh, nonpartisan, uh, non-left-wing attorney general, he and his 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 staff would be all over making sure that those folks who are undocumented that are using the DMV services are not being registered to vote. Unfortunately, we have just the opposite in our attorney general's office. Nobody's watching this stuff as closely as it needs to be watched. And it's, it's yet another avenue for potential, uh, potential abuse. And, and it goes on and on. We have a state where everybody gets absentee ballots. Mail to them. Uh, you know, even if you didn't have ballot harvesting, absentee ballots in and of themselves opens the door for potential abuse. And then, then you, as as I know, uh, most of your, if not all of your listeners, know if you go to the polls, if you want to, if you want to vote the old-fashioned way, which I personally like to do, and you go on election day and you go vote, you don't have to show any identification to the person there who gives you the, the form that you then go to the little booth and, and vote on, which to me is just outrageous. Uh, you know, it, it everybody is. has, I, if you don't have identification in this day and age, uh, I, I don't know what to say. Yeah, try and get on an airplane um, yeah. without ID. Um, and as a matter of fact, in a lot of department stores, give them a credit card that doesn't have a picture on it, and they'll ask you to show an ID. But you can vote without an ID. That is kind of a crazy thing. But let's let's talk about remedies here. I mean, you're the you're an attorney. You um, and you're an activist attorney. It, is it is it feasible um, that we could engage um, the Department of Justice in? requiring uh, an audit of what Padilla's office is doing to clean up the rolls? Anything's possible uh, along those lines. Whether you can actually get it done or not, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, 
you know, Padilla is under a court order right now. So Padilla, if he doesn't do the job properly, uh, and if the uh, if the uh, lawyers who got the settlement uh, stay on it and follow up with him, and, he, and if Padilla is not doing the job properly, they can go to court and find him in contempt of court. So, uh, you know, I sure hope that they're going to be watching him closely. And like I said, I'm, I'm talking to various people to make sure he gets watched closely. But as far as solutions, and, and it's one of the things I said earlier, ballot harvesting is now legal in California. And, uh, and we... I think we... We need to do what we can to get to overturn that statute, which is not going to happen on the present with the present legislature and the present governor. But if it now exists and short of a lawsuit and lawsuits can be brought, but they take time, uh, people who are not generally prone to support and do what it takes to harvest ballots are going to have to um, work together. And I think the California Republican Party is going to have to take the lead on this. And, and people, uh, people are going to have to get together and yeah. master what it takes to harvest ballots so that well, the Democrats are not the only one dropping off hundreds of, and thousands of ballots on Election Day. Well, I think you're right. And we're going to go take a quick commercial break and we're going to come back and talk about one of my favorite subjects, the initiative process. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with Eric Early to continue our conversation about what's wrong with one man, one person, excuse me, one person, one vote in California. And it occurs to me, Eric, that maybe the answer lies to things like ballot harvesting or a regularly scheduled audit of the voter rolls, et cetera. Things that if you're a, 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 a flag-loving Democrat, you should support. Um, maybe the, the, the way to solve this might be through, um, you know, there's always the lawsuit, but what about the initiative process? What about using well, you know, the initiative process for that purpose? You can use the initiative process in California where you put a uh, proposition on the ballot, but the initiative process is, it's, it's pretty tough to get a proposition on ballot. In fact, it's very tough. You have to start out, you have to get um, uh, several hundred thousand signatures. You have to have a campaign. It's, it's an expensive process to go through it. And then if you're lucky enough to, to do all the things that are necessary to get a uh, a proposition on the ballot. Then you have to have the money to uh, to uh, support it publicly with advertising um, uh, before the vote. And then, uh, and, and by the way, I'm not suggesting not to do this. It'd be great to have some sort of proposition on the ballot where the people of the state of California say uh, no more ballot harvesting. But this is. Uh, I give you a perfect example of how that process, this, this, this initiative process, gets completely abused in the state of California. We had uh, Proposition Six on the on the last in the last election. Mm-hmm. Proposition Six was trying to repeal the gas tax. I know the fellow Carl DeMeo down in the 
San Diego area who spearheaded Proposition 6. Carl was one of the people who supported my campaign. Carl, Carl and his group got Proposition 6 on the ballot. It was going to repeal the gas tax. Then you have, uh, then this is what happened. First of all, the Attorney General's office is the one that prepares the little write-up. It's called the ballot and title summary uh, that people see when they go to the polls or when they vote in the booklets they get in the mail that says what the proposition is about. Uh, Javier Becerra, who was my opponent in the uh, general election, and thankfully uh, I got uh, I got almost a million votes, which was I'm incredibly gratified to the people of this state. I had never been a politician before. But Becerra's office completely misrepresented in the ballot and title summary what Proposition 6 was about. He said, it basically said in the few words that were on the, in the ballot, if you vote for this, our roads won't be safe because this is money used to fix potholes and do infrastructure. So uh, thanks to the misrepresentations of our present attorney general, people went to the polls and they unwittingly, I would, I would say for the most part, said, without knowing it, said, yes, please tax my gas anywhere from 12 to 50 cents a gallon in the next few years. Uh, most people had no idea they were doing that. And that was, this was combined with a mega million dollar uh, advertising campaign against Proposition 6. Every time you turn on TV, all you'd hear about is how if you vote for Proposition 6, your roads won't be safe. And what people, uh, most people in California didn't realize is that that advertising campaign was spearheaded by, uh, by funds that uh, Governor Brown's office uh, re uh, reached out to people and, and unions and such who were going to profit from the monies uh, uh, earned from this tax to pay for this mega-million-dollar campaign. So my, in a nutshell, what I'm saying is you do a proposition against, um, uh, against ballot harvesting, and, and you can just imagine what you're going to get from the other side, uh, how we're trying to disenfranchise people and blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's, it, it's just going to be very difficult. And I might add, um, one fascinating irony is in, uh, in France, where the uh, president told the people, I'm going to raise the gas tax, uh, as we all saw for several <laughs> weeks, people were, you know, were rioting and burning down uh, the cities all over. There were places in the cities all over the place. Out here, people were completely uh, hoodwinked into voluntarily and happily voting for a gas tax. Well, because we're so gridlocked in traffic that people are praying for help, and what they didn't realize was that 80% of the money that is raised from the additional gas tax, uh, they actually in the last minute got a little clearer about their, well, we're going to do infrastructure repairs, et cetera, is that 80% of that money, Eric, is going to go to high-speed rail, which is a legacy uh, technology before it ever opens. Yeah, the and money, and this was Carl DeMeo's big, one of his big arguments, the fellow who was behind the uh, repeal of the gas tax, was that most of this money ends up getting funneled into California's general fund just to go towards paying down more of this excessive debt that the state has, and very little of it actually goes to fixing roads. So, uh, you know, it's just another way to tax uh, Californians into oblivion. So you, you would think that, that if we could challenge one person one, on the basis of one person, one vote, the, the ballot harvesting era issue itself, that it would be 
through, let's say, Judicial Watch um, or one of the other um, public interest groups of actually filing a lawsuit and challenging it constitutionally? Well, somehow uh, a lawsuit uh, would be very interesting to see, uh, to try and challenge it constitutionally. Uh, uh, we got to change the makeup of the state legislature somehow to get these laws changed. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, these are, these are just tough times, Joyce, tough yeah. times. It is very difficult. Well, we have about two minutes left, and I do want to touch really briefly on the Santa Barbara lawsuit, and then we're going to invite you to come back and talk some more about that lawsuit and also about immigration and its impact on the state of California at another time. But we've got about two minutes, and so if you could tell people briefly. I was just shocked when I went and read about this last night. Um, well, I was, I was contacted by a group of concerned Santa Barbara residents who uh, who retained me to file a lawsuit against Santa Barbara Unified School District and an outfit called Just Community Central Coast. Just Community Central Coast is one of these far-left uh, sort of social warrior, community-organizing, uh, outrageous organizations that follow the Alinsky playbook of basically how to undermine a democracy. They would never admit to that, but that's the way that playbook goes. And these folks were hired to do what's called uh, implicit or unconscious bias training to the teachers and students of the Santa Barbara Unified School District. A couple parents had gone to these, uh, to these um, classes and, got, and found out that when they got there, if they were Caucasian, they were singled out and they, they were basically, they were singled out from everybody else, and they were told that basically they were the reason for all the problems uh, that's affecting everybody else in this uh, state. And then you look at the, the paperwork that was handed out by this Just Community Central Coast, and the only, they accuse all uh, white people are racist, and only white people can be racist, and white people are oppressors, and, uh, and Christians are oppressors, and all others are the oppressed, and, uh, and on and on like this. Uh, just, just outrageous, over-the-top stuff that in and of itself is incredibly racist against, uh, you know, white people. And so uh, a, an organization was formed called Fair Education Santa Barbara. I represent them. We bring in this lawsuit on behalf of all races, creeds, colors, nationalities, sexual orientation. We don't want to see discrimination up there. And this, this, this Santa Barbara Unified School District appears more than happy to hire an organization to teach the young and vulnerable minds how to, uh, how to discriminate against uh, one race of people. So that lawsuit was filed uh, in federal court in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago, and it's just uh, starting to get off the ground. Seriously, repeat this. Caucasians are singled out oh, yeah. as there's, the oppressors? Oh, yeah. There's, there's a chart in their materials, and we copied this chart, and we put it right in the complaint, which is a document we used to you know, you start to file the lawsuit, mm -hmm. which has these columns. And uh, uh, one column says privilege group, one column says target group, uh, and, the, and the privilege group is uh, white people, the target group is all others. Uh, the privilege group are all Christians, the target group is all others. The privilege group is males, target group is all others. And we've had people tell us, that they went to a class, they were separated out because they were white, they were told, you are all racist. 
And, and these people said, no, we are not racist. And then they're told, well, you, you're racist, you just don't know you're a racist. And, and the more you fight back, the more they, uh, they come after you and tell you what's wrong with you. And, and so you've got kids now in these districts being taught this stuff. And, and this is just creating another, it's, it's more this victimization. It doesn't focus on, the, uh, on whether or not these, uh, these, these, these so-called uh, oppressed groups are learning the English language or not. Many of them uh, are not. It doesn't focus on the attention uh, and detail given by the families to, to these kids to learn as much as they can, and, and, and on and on. It just wants to create a victim class and, uh, you know, and I've been, many people have reached out to me about this lawsuit, including many uh, Hispanic Americans who are just very angry at, at what they're doing up there in Santa Barbara because they don't support creating, uh, turning, uh, turning people into victims. And so it's a big problem up there. And I'll tell you, what's going on in Santa Barbara uh, it would just shock many of your listeners. There's just been something else that's gone on at the Santa Monica Community College. I know we're running out of time, but it's, it's, it's shocking what's happening up I, there, and it's got to be stopped. We, we are going to have you back to talk about this shocking development in California. I thought California education couldn't get any worse, but I guess it can. Um, and, and maybe we, at that point, uh, when you come back, we're going to inject a little history into this about immigration patterns and, and other things um, that we, um, ordinary middle class Americans, are all familiar with. Um, but I, I have to say thank you so much for spending a whole hour of your Sunday with us. Um, you know, you, I'll be in touch um, during the week we're going to set another date and have you back and you know what we might want to do um you have to think about this is maybe ask some of the other folks who are impacted by this santa barbara issue um to join us and do a little round table um, thank you so much for having me joyce and thanks for your uh, listeners for putting up with me and next and next time we're going to open the mic the the phone lines we had so much to talk about today i'm going to next time uh we'll We'll plan a segment to open the phone lines and let listeners um, um, give us their impact imp- input as well. But thank you so much, and have a great Sunday. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM the answer and we're back with just about three minutes for a couple of closing thoughts um if anybody out there would wants to react to what we've just heard 888-367-5329 and we might have just one minute for a caller um eric is a great guest because he's not a professional politician um and he's substantive and he understands um um the complexity of the issues that we face um, with one party rule in California, there has to be a way to fight back. Um, And we're going to continue to look for it. But in the meantime, um, I believe we are going to make some progress now that the shutdown is over 
on another guest um, who has an expertise in cybersecurity and cybersecurity strategy. And we're going to kind of give you a lesson um, in why cybersecurity is something that you as an individual citizen need to be aware of every day in your individual life. And then we'll talk about some of the other issues that surround it. But um, we, we believe that will move faster now that we are through the shutdown and we can get the necessary permissions. And I'm also talking to someone from what's called the Alliance Party, which is kind of like the new Whig Party in terms of uh, whether or not a more centrist party can emerge again um, out of the ashes of um, the extremes on both right and left. Uh, so stay tuned. In the meantime, uh, I can I can finally tell you that um, we have my my bad. I with as as some of you know, I had a back problem that kept me away from the computer. Um, but we have now I've now loaded all of the podcasts um, up to this week. So if you've missed um, a Reimagine America Radio Hour and you're interested in going back and hearing what we've talked about over the last month or so, uh, all of those podcasts are up on uh, Reimagine America, and uh, they will also be available on Facebook um, and on LinkedIn. Um, we will get, we will get probably next week to a conversation about the governor's proposed first proposed budget. It is deceptive in its conservatism. I warn you that some of these so-called first, um, first year one-time investments of the surplus, blah, 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 blah. If you believe that the governor is going to govern um, with, with financial modesty, you are wrong. You have to look at the multiple years and look at the investments that he wants to make this year in terms of foundational pieces for future big increases. It's going to cost you money next year if you have health insurance. It's going to cost you money next year if you drive a car. It's going to cost your children. Um, it's going to cost you more to pay for um, the uh, extracurriculars and stuff in our public schools. So um, stay tuned. We're going to we're going to deal with that. And um, I I I appreciate. Um, the uh, emails and and I do try to get back to your emails and your tweets if I try to answer as many of those as I can um, if you've got an idea of for a show you'd like me to do Joyce at reimagine America and remember that we're independent and oh god are we not profitable um, if you enjoy our independent voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. And in the meantime, have a wonderful Sunday and a great week, and we'll talk again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.